It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. The questions around record level inflation need clarity. We, we need a full or at least a better understanding of not only what is inflation, but how it applies to this current economic environment. There are, of course, policy components to this, obviously, and there are actions by the Federal Reserve that can have an effect, positively or negatively. Is it transitory inflation? And if so, what does transitory really mean? Is it by sector, as in certain sectors more affected? What does it really mean? Christopher Russo, Mercatus Center Research Fellow, former a former advisor to the Federal Reserve. Let me get that out again, Chris. Christopher Russo, Mercatus Center Research Fellow and former advisor to the Federal Reserve. Uh, you know, just uh, is what it is. Chris, great to have you back on the show. So let's great let's dive right Thank in. You, Let, let's define this. I mean, part of the problem here is we're not getting clear definition in the headlines. Sure. So inflation in a sentence is a general rise in the price of goods and services. A bit more of a detailed answer might be, imagine going to a supermarket where everything you spend money on is in the store, not just groceries, but everything, clothing, cars, housing, yada, yada, yada. You could buy everything off the shelves. Of course, you've got a budget. You know, every family does. So you're selective about what you buy, what types and what qualities and and what amounts you buy different sorts of goods and services. Imagine going to the store and picking out a cart of goods one week, going back, and the prices have changed, and maybe even the qualities have changed. Inflation is really how much more money you would need to be just as satisfied with your second purchase as your first purchase. So if you need more money to be be the same level of satisfied as you were a week ago, that's inflation. So now let's talk to the American community out there. As they apply this, look, as I mentioned, we see the headlines, right? The cool graphics on TV. And we see even the arguments about it coming from different perspectives. And that's mostly the political. So let's talk policy, not just Fed policy, but governmental policy that can have a greater effect on our economy and inflation right now. First, What's the negative policy if there's really one that can be identified more than others? And then we'll go to what could be done from a positive point of view. Sure. So the way economists typically think about it is in terms of uh, two different uh, terms, really. Aggregate supply and aggregate demand. Uh, Briefly, aggregate supply, think about that as the total capacity of our economy to create goods and services. Government policies can, of course, positively affect aggregate supply or negatively affect aggregate supply. On your show and elsewhere, when we talk about the uh, ways government intervention has prohibited our economy from growing as much as it might otherwise would have, those are reductions in aggregate supply. There's also aggregate demand. Aggregate demand is total dollar incomes or total dollar spending in the economy. And government intervention has a direct influence there, of course. Um, So... As an economist focused on the Fed, typically I take the aggregate supply side as given. 
you know, the Fed Chairman Powell and his predecessors often say that when they go in front of Congress. They say, we're going to take your actions as given. We can't control them. We're not looking to control them. All we can do is say, given the level of output we could attain in our economy, how can we adjust aggregate demand to be consistent with that? Because if aggregate demand, total spending in the economy, is outstripping the capacity for the economy to generate goods and services, you'll get inflation. And in the long run, as Milton Friedman said, inflation is a monetary phenomenon and in exactly this sense, where if the Fed um, uh, did policy correctly, it could bring inflation down to a low long run level. And that's the Fed's objective and it's the objective given to it by Congress. So let's bring Powell more into this uh, and in uh, one sentence, if you will, uh, he said he will retire the T word transitory as inflation remains elevated. So Powell, his decisions right now and what effect that could have, what are they? Sure. Um, so, you know, as your listeners know, we've seen inflation run well above the percent target. Back earlier this year, there was a view among uh, many policymakers and private sector forecasters that without a change in monetary policy, the Fed would be able to return inflation back down to 2%. Um, that hasn't come to pass. Um, so instead, what we've seen is the Fed accelerate the pace of its uh, tightening of monetary policy, uh, accelerating the uh, the tapering of asset purchases, and now we've got three interest rate hikes penciled in for, for next year. So this is a long lines of what I, what I was describing. Um, the Fed can tighten monetary policy to bring inflation down. I'm not sure that was one sentence, but I hope that gets to the essence. Well, no. It, well, first of all, it never is one sentence. I attributed <laughs> that more to Powell's use of the term. Uh, you know, something, as you said, you watch the Fed. You know, when we think of the Fed, the typical reference or what comes to mind for most people is one Fed. But within the Fed, there's the Atlanta, you know, you look at Denver. So are there differences of opinion in the Fed structure on this? And is there one that's leading the day? Sure, sure. So we have an interesting structure for our central bank, and it's based on uh, really uh, a story history that began at the founding of the country. There's a dispute um, even back at the founding about whether we should have a national bank or a central bank, uh, you know, Jefferson versus Hamilton, details that I, I can't really get into here. But ultimately, um, the Fed today reflects a compromise of those considerations. On the one hand, people thinking we need a strong central government, a, a central bank to help moderate financial crises and such, and another view that was much more skeptical of centralizing power. Uh, to reflect that, the Fed's current structure is as follows. There's 12 uh, reserve banks around the country, as well as a board of governors in Washington, D.C., with appointees by the, by the president and confirmed by the Senate. All of these institutions get together to make monetary policy. The 12 Federal Reserve Bank presidents, as well as the governors on the board of governors, they come together. And again, there's complications here about who votes in what year, but uh, it's the decision collectively of that committee that sets monetary policy. Uh, as you alluded to, there are differences of opinion on the committee, and you can actually see that in their public statements and in transcripts that get released with about a five-year lag. The ultimate point being is that um, the committee itself has people with different views. Those views evolve over time as they change their views on the arguments and the data, 
and that ultimately gets reflected in policy. You know, I hadn't thought about that lag in a while. Came up, I think, in probably one of my conversations with Charles Payne over the years. And it seems to me that fits the four-year administration, which sets a tone and see what happens in year five. I'd like to see that information faster. The information about what the the Fed is deciding to do. Right. Like to see that faster, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe no, in I, transparency. So- and, I, you know, I, I, it's not that I don't understand the need for being able to make policy and have consistency. But the lack of transparency at times and the lack of understanding, and this is why I'm asking you these questions, where people just understand the sure. basic structure. But when information is not put out there, you got to ask the question, why not a little bit faster? You know, I understand your concern. And I think over the last few decades, the Fed has moved to a more transparent position. So, for example, back in the 90s, they wouldn't even announce what their interest rate decision was. Uh, the private sector would have to infer that from the uh, monetary operations uh, the New York Fed would undertake. It was uh, Greenspan in the 90s that said, I think in 94 maybe, that we're now going to actually announce what our decisions are every time we make a decision, which was a big step forward in transparency. Um, subsequent to that, the Fed, uh, after the financial crisis in 2007-2008, began producing its summary of economic projections that were uh, released regularly uh, now every quarter, at which uh, each of those Fed participants would give their forecast for future economic activity and their uh, their, their projected path for the short-term interest rate. Uh, Chairman Powell now does a press conference after each of the FOMC decisions, uh, which he answers questions. Uh, they release minutes of the meeting, which are not a transcript, but summarize in some pretty great detail what they discussed about a month or so after each meeting. Um, so there's a great amount of information there, although, I, you know, again, I completely understand for the average person, um, it's hard to know what's going on. Yeah, and that's why we have you, Chris. I, I make no bones about that. <laughs> that's why we have you. Uh, you know, look, we're, we're in a very tenuous time now, and while you and I are talking about Fed policy and more the domestic policy, there is a international component to this decisions that are being made whether it be for multinationals here in the country and overseas uh economic issues uh you know where we are now do we have a clear path to act domestically without major international uh i guess major international not necessarily interference but uh effect I guess I want to clarify your question. Do you mean from a monetary policy perspective or more broadly to do with, say, COVID or those sorts of things? I would say monetary policy first. Of course, COVID plays into this because policy decisions are made that affect the economies. But first to monetary policy. Sure. So from a monetary policy perspective, um, you hit on the, you hit on an important point. Um, when the Fed sets monetary policy, they're not just setting it for the United States. They're also setting it for the people across the world to use the dollar, um, many of whom in countries um, that have either uh, pegged their own currency to the dollar for, for financial stability and inflation reasons, typically to try to create a more stable financial system and to, to tamp down on their own inflation that maybe their governments don't have the credibility to control, or even countries or people themselves who have adopted the dollar itself as a medium of exchange. Uh, when the Fed changes monetary policy, they affect these people as well. 
Um, more broadly than that, of course, the, the U.S. is a, a central player in global trade, and uh, dollar interest rates play a role there. Um, so certainly, when the Fed affects changes monetary policy, um, they are they are changing global uh, conditions uh, in the financial sector, uh, economically. Um, it plays a role. Well, there certainly is going to be an interesting year ahead as we watch all of this develop. I will be calling you frequently. <laughs> I want to, to help us understand. Today, I always this. enjoy it. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Christopher Russo, Mercatus Center Research Fellow and former advisor to the Federal Reserve. You can uh, learn more about Mercatus at mercatus.org. Thank you, Chris. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.